One of the coolest stories in the Gospels is Jesus walking on water. But there is so much more to this story than most people know. And we're going to tackle that in this episode of Rabbis and Disciples Part 4. And hey, if you're watching this on YouTube and you find this teaching to be helpful, like this video, subscribe to our channel, and share this teaching with someone you think could benefit. All right, let's dive in and let's unpack this amazing story. Hello everyone, I'm Brad Gray and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. I created the Teaching Series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context, and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. Please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. This is such an amazing story to unpack. And originally we were going to talk about Jesus and his rabbinic authority, but we're going to do that in the next episode. Because in thinking through what we did in our previous episode, where we talked about how the life of a disciple was to become just like your rabbi, what that looked like in the first century world, and how the goal wasn't to know what the rabbi knew, it was to be who the rabbi was, I began to think more about this particular story of Jesus walking on water and how it solidifies even to a greater level what we talked about in the last episode. And this particular story of Jesus walking on water, which is so much bigger than just Jesus walking on water, has been one of the most important stories from the life of Jesus that has helped me in my discipleship today. And so I pray that that will also be true for you as well. And so let's jump into this story. We're going to be looking at this from Matthew chapter 14. And the context is this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And we tackled this in our mini-series, Bread of Life, the Feeding of the 5,000. And we noted that it took place around the plains of Bethsaida. So we have a starting point for where our story begins. And so it reads this way. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So Jesus says, get in a boat and start rowing to the other side. And the idea here is that Jesus is going to meet up with them. So they're not going very far, but they've got their boat and they need to row to the other side. And Jesus says, get into the boat. Now I'm just waiting for one of these moments for the disciples to go, we're not getting into the boat. Because every time we get into the boat, something unfavorable happens. But uh, they don't say anything, apparently. Jesus says, get in the boat, and they are on their way. Now, what kind of a boat are they getting into? Because this factors into this story as well as the other stories in the Gospels. And what's so unbelievably cool is that in 1986, right here on the western shoreline, there had been a drought in the land, and the Sea of Galilee had dropped, and they found submerged in the mud the remains of a first century Jewish fishing boat. I kid you not. This is what it looks like today. You can see it in the Nof Guinnessar Museum. You have to check out the story on this thing. It's amazing. 
But from this, they were able to determine that the fishing boat is 27 and a half feet wide, seven or uh, 27 and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and it's not very deep. And so this model gives you an idea of what it would have looked like. And without any gear in this boat, it fits 12 to 13 people. So this is likely the kind of boat that Jesus and his disciples would have sailed in as they were on the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus sends them and then it says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So we've got a wind that is pushing against them. And we know that they're starting here and they're supposed to get somewhere over here, and yet they've been blown out into the lake which means some kind of a wind, whether it's coming from the north or perhaps they got this crazy northeasterly wind, which is known as a sharkia, which can just be just this pummeling wind that drives from the east northeast and can push you out into the Sea of Galilee. However, this wind thing is happening, it's pushed them out there. And the Sea of Galilee, which by the way is a fresh body lake, it's a freshwater lake, it's actually the lowest freshwater lake on planet Earth. It sits 700 feet below sea level. It's 13 miles long, it's seven and a half miles wide at its widest point, it's 140 feet deep. And one of the things that makes it unique is that all of the mountains around it sit higher than the lake itself. So this is on the western side, except for the south. The south is low. But on the southeast, it picks up, and then the east, and all the way around, you have all of these hills that sit above, which means that if you get strong winds coming from either direction, that oftentimes those temperatures may be different than what's rising from the sea. And when the, when the heat rises from the sea and the wind is coming from those other directions, it just makes this massive chaotic storm that can drop onto the Sea of Galilee in a heartbeat. And because they're not in a big boat, they get a couple feet of waves. And now this becomes a very problematic situation. And so the disciples are out on the sea. They've been pushed by the wind. And then it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now, fourth watch of the night, that is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Jesus has been watching them all throughout the night. And in the fourth watch, he then decides to go out to them walking on water. And then we see, okay, so what's going on here? Well, Jesus can actually see the disciples if there is enough moonlight. This is uh, some drone footage from the plains of Bethsaida or just above it. This would be Jesus's vantage point if he was, you know, to the east of Bethsaida. You can see the entire Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus has probably been watching his disciples and then goes out to them. And it says that they goes out in the fourth watch of the night. Now, what's their response? Because they have been rowing all night long. They are exhausted. They are hungry. They're in the midst of a storm. What is going to be their response? Well, it says when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Of course they're terrified. Again, I don't think Jesus has walked on water before. Maybe they thought, you know, they were hallucinating or something, but it is interesting that they say it is a ghost. 
And this is because of the theology of the Jewish people in the first century world. They weren't seafaring people. They were desert nomads. That was their heritage. And whereas for us, like in the West, we see the ocean or we see a beautiful lake and we're like, put a boat on that thing or let's go swimming. Or for me, let's put a stand-up paddleboard on that. For the Jewish people, they would go, no, 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 that is not good because they believed that it was in big bodies of water where evil and chaos resided. Satan, the demons, they were all residing in chaotic waters. And if you look into the Hebrew scriptures, you see this interesting uh, theme of how water and judgment or chaos or something crazy happens plays out. So at creation, you've got the watery chaos and God has to speak in order to order the chaos. With Noah and the flood, God punishes the world through chaotic waters. When Israel comes out of Egypt and goes through the sea, how does God take out the Egyptian army? With chaotic waters. Jonah disobeys God and he gets thrown into the raging sea and everything goes calm after he is thrown in and he gets swallowed by a big fish. You've got passages like Isaiah 57 verse 19 and following. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. We got stories even in the Gospels. Jesus and his disciples go to the east side. They go to the Decapolis. They interact with a guy we call the demoniac, the man with all these demons in them. Uh, In him, Jesus gives permission for the demons to go into the pigs and they go rushing down the hill. And where do they go? They go right into the water and the disciples would have said, of course, they're going home. That made sense to them. And so Jesus comes out and they are terrified. Now, Matthew includes some details that Mark's parallel story doesn't include, and Mark's parallel story includes details that Matthew doesn't include. So I want to dip into one of the details from Mark, because in Mark 6.48, it tells us that when Jesus was going out to them in the fourth watch of the night, it says he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Like, they're terrified, they're freaking out, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're in a storm, they've been rowing all night, they're hungry, and Jesus is going to walk by and go, what's up, fellas? How's it going? Right? It's absolutely hilarious, and you see lots of hilarious moments in the Gospels. And by the way, some of the most brilliant leaders, teachers, people that I know have a really great sense of humor. It's like they take life seriously, but they also don't take it so serious that they can't have fun in the process. And you see this throughout the Gospels with Jesus. And so maybe he's going to have a little bit of fun with them, but there might also be another thing going on here. It might be an echo to Exodus 33. It's when God passed by in front of Moses so that Moses could get a glimpse of his glory. And the reason why I think that that might be at play here is what happens next. And so let's go back to our Matthew account. And after they're, you know, freaking out, it says, Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. This phrase, it is I, is literally from the Greek, ego eimi, which is I am. Jesus says, take courage, I am. 
That's exactly what God said to Moses when God was giving Moses his name in Exodus 3. And so you have God and Moses interacting in Exodus 3 and Exodus 33, and I think that's at play here. But even more than that, when Jesus says, take courage, I am, I think Jesus is demonstrating his glory and he is demonstrating that he's not just connected to God. He is in this strange, bizarre way to what the disciples would have thought. God himself, I am. Do not be afraid. And Peter heeds these words and it says that he answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. What a bizarre response. And what's more is that Peter has a brother. His name is Andrew. Andrew's in the boat as well. Apparently, Andrew doesn't say anything. If he did, it's not recorded. But I've got a brother myself, and if I try to jump out of a boat in the midst of a storm to try to go walk on water, which I'm pretty sure has never happened before, I would hope my brother would speak up and say something to me. Andrew says nothing. Maybe Andrew's sitting in the boat going, man, Peter's mouth is always getting him into trouble. Let's see how this one plays out, right? But Peter gets out of the boat. And you go, what would possess Peter to actually believe in this moment? He can walk on water. What in the world is he doing? Friends, this story makes no sense. That is, it makes no sense if we didn't talk about what we did in our previous episode. When we said that the goal of a disciple wasn't to know what the rabbi knew, it was to be who the rabbi was or who the rabbi is. Peter wants to be just like Jesus. Friends, this is discipleship added like to the hilt. This is what it means for a disciple who wants to be like the rabbi to go to whatever length necessary to do that. It causes me to pause and go, do I really want to be like Jesus that bad? Am I literally willing to go to that length to be like my rabbi Jesus? And so Peter wants to do this. And then it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, let's not burn Peter here. The dude is willing to die to be like his rabbi. But Jesus confronts him because he begins to sink. He cries out. Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Who is Jesus talking about here when he says, why did you doubt? Who is Peter doubting? Is it Jesus? Jesus seems to be doing just fine. He's standing on the water. I think when Jesus says, why did you doubt, that Jesus is saying, Peter, why do you doubt yourself? And if I had to summarize this moment and what this story seems to be conveying is that Jesus believes in Peter more than Peter believes in himself. And I think this was a catalytic moment in the life of Peter, but in the disciples as well, is that Jesus said, I believe in you. A number of years ago, I heard this outstanding Jewish saying that I've held on to so tightly about belief in God. And it goes like this. Before you teach a child to believe in God, teach the child 
that God believes in them. And I've employed this with my four kids because I want them to see all of who God is. But I also recognize that if this is true, that they need to know that God believes in them. And that as you just look at this, it's, it's this reality that when someone believes in you, it changes things. I mean, I look at stories in my life where I was struggling and it was my parents who had more belief in me than I had in myself or times when I doubted and my wife had more belief in me than I had myself and they communicated that, that it gave me this burst of confidence, this burst of hope, this burst of courage to go do what needed to be done because they had my back and they believed in me in times where I didn't believe in myself enough to do what needed to be done. And Jesus confronts Peter and he says, dude, why do you doubt? I don't doubt you to the level you're doubting yourself. So why don't you have as much faith in yourself as I do? And I believe that this is true for us as well, that Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Now, you may hear that and you go, how in the world is that even true or even possible? Well, this is where it's so important to understand the entire flow of Jesus's interaction with his disciples and even how these stories were recorded. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and in the Gospel of Matthew, which we're looking at the story from Matthew 14 today, how does Matthew 1 begin? It begins with the birth of Jesus, and we are told, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And how does Matthew end? It's Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and we're going to come back to the story in our next episode. But Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the book begins with God is with us. In the midst of it, Jesus is saying, I am and doing all of these amazing things to show who he actually is. And he is training disciples to follow him, to walk in his footsteps, to be just like him. And he even says in a moment to Peter, why are you doubting? And the book ends with Jesus goes, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age, that through the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus is with us. And I think this is absolutely astounding because God asks us to do things. We are called to be like Jesus, just in general, to understand what did he teach? What did he do? How did he interact with people? What, what, what did he do and how did he do it? And how are we emulating that in our lives? But then there are also specific things that God calls us to do in our own lives. And at times we doubt ourselves that we can actually do it or it feels like we don't have the skill set or we don't have the resources and we go, but God, I can't do that. And I think Jesus's question is, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt yourself? And if I am with you, why would you even doubt that I would ask you to do something that you can't do without me being with you and empowering you to do it? This is why this story has been so huge for me in my life is on the one hand, it has shown me like the level of commitment that Peter was even willing to demonstrate to follow Jesus as his rabbi. But on the other hand, or in addition to that, it challenges me 
to go, where am I doubting what God has asked me to do? Or maybe even to take this question one step further is like, where do I need to get out of the boat? Where do you need to get out of the boat? What has God called you to do that you have been struggling to do so? Maybe you're looking at the way of Jesus and you're going, man, I don't know how I can do that. I had one of you email in just a couple of days ago and just said, listen, I'm loving rabbis and disciples. It is so incredibly helpful, and yet it is so incredibly challenging, and I don't feel like I'm following Jesus to the extent that you're talking about in this series, and I don't feel like I could ever follow him to the level that Jesus' disciples were following him like you're talking about in this series. And my response to them and my response to you, if you're feeling this as way as well, is that, listen, if we are following what Jesus is asking us to do, if we are modeling the disciple life, if we are in community with one another, if we are reading and praying and interacting with the very words of God and hearing from God and going, man, what am I supposed to do about that? God is going to empower us to do whatever he asks us to do. What he wants to know is, are you willing to get out of the boat and to trust him? Because he believes in you. In fact, he believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Well, friends, as always, thanks so much for watching. Thanks for listening. And may you walk out the text well in your lives. 